Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa curry and I am here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. Welcome to episode 154 of the Elisa Unfiltered Podcast. My name is Elisa, and today it is Wednesday, March the 29th, 2023. It still feels weird saying 2023 sometimes. I don't know about you. I'm one of those people that thinks 10 years ago was the 90s. (laughs) I'm also one of those people whose day flies by so fast. It feels, and it feels like I've lived a thousand years already. Like how weird is that? Time is so weird. That being said, we are here in 2023. And uh, it begs the question, did you really think your life would be the way that it is right now, that you would be thinking the things that you think right now in 2023? And I look around and I'm not sure what to make of the world that I am seeing. I think this is going to be a really juicy, juicy episode. I haven't done a solo episode for a while. I have a lot of like mixed feelings about things and what I'm observing in the world. A lot of like hard yeses and hard no's. And I'm really starting to step into my power and stepping into your power is not what I think, what I used to think it was. I used to think stepping into your power was, you know, using your voice, standing up for what you believe in and, and being sort of like a bully or like, okay, bully is not the right word. Um, being sort of like a person who knows who they are and is confident or at least has the illusion of confidence. Now, what I have as I've been observing myself doing those things and making adjustments and tweaking and really tapping into my knowing, knowing who I am at a practicing level. So knowing what my values are and standing in the truth of that and questioning things and questioning who, who I learned my values from and are they still relevant to me today and and observing the way that I think around certain subjects, certain issues, and do those come back to my values and stay and grounding myself, connecting to the earth, to life and humanizing people again, as opposed to this cultural shift of the dehumanization of people, making them below you, animals, rats, vermin, labels that are not human. Like just to justify your point of view. Though that That's the way I used to think, right? Like I used to dehumanize people to make myself right. And I thought that that was power. I thought that that was personal power, you know, being vulnerable. I thought all of that stuff was personal power, but really, I am now discovering it is accepting myself as myself, grounding myself to this earth, 
coming back into my body, silencing the noise and just developing my knowing, breathing through difficult situations, having my own back. Ooh. And as I watch the world right now, there seems to be this illusion of power and, and this, and people are just giving up their, their choices, giving up their power. And it's really hard to watch. It's, it, it seems like to be this rise up of anger and hate speech and division and mental illness. And we need to talk about this. We need to widen the scope a little bit here and widen our perspectives a little bit here. So today I've decided to share some of my views as a life coach. Yes. Right. Life coach. Yes. Uh, but more from the point of view of a woman who has been at rock bottom, who has suffered greatly in my mind and body and emotional body. Yes. Who has experienced unexplainable traumas, who has been broke beyond broke. Like I had no money. I literally had no money to buy food to eat. And I know there's a lot of people in that situation right now. I know what that feels like. It is, it is so viscerally unsafe. Like you feel like it's, it's very difficult when you have food insecurity and you, and, and you, you don't have money to buy food. It is an awful place to be. I was married to a violent abuser also an awful place to be. I lived in a body that was massively overweight. I was pre-diabetic. I was, I was living a lifestyle that was creating diabetes in my body. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. I was depressed. I was on huge levels of antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication with extreme side effects. I was so stuck beyond stuck and the people that I turned to to help me just was this like cycle of abuse. I was looping in victimhood in labels. I was attaching myself to labels so that I wouldn't have to take responsibility for myself. And I'm going to talk about that in a second too. I had this overwhelming sense of unworthiness and that, and, and I believed that's who I was. I believed that this was normal. Right. And I'm seeing this cycle happening and being reinforced with today's cultural narratives and with the fear and with the, the inability to see that you are driving the bus. I'm one of those women who was never enough. I was one of those women who thought she wasn't enough. I was going to give and I would give everything away for crumbs for crumbs of approval and attention. And the last thing I was gonna do in that moment, the last thing was take responsibility for my life. Because hiding behind the labels is the path of least resistance. It's the thing that we do, that we're taught to do, to label ourselves and sit in that fucking box and not get out of it. I might cuss a little bit, I'm a bit fired up. 
sorry. And even though I was so miserable in those moments, I was comfortable being miserable. I knew I could control the people around me and the way that they saw me. And I, I was comfortable looping in this. It made me feel normal. I was comfortable being a low vibrational human. That's what I was. My vibe was low. I, I was miserable. I had negative, negative thought loops are low vibrational thought loops. And so I'm going to try to, in those negative, negative thought loops, I'm going to try to get people to feel sorry for me and give me attention and cut me some slack. See how much I'm suffering. Pay attention to me. You are the cause of my suffering. See how much I suffer. Love me. See me. Tell me how brave and strong that I am. And then I'm going to get through it. <laughs> you know, things like that. And yes, those are normalized narratives. Every time things got good, I was going to, I was going to feel unsafe and burn it all down. Every time I lost a little bit of weight and felt lighter and less bloated in my body, I'm going to go on a bender and celebrate and eat and, and like release my inhibitions and punish myself and then feel awful again because that's what I deserve, right? But then time will heal all wounds, right? Time will heal all wounds. How many times have you heard that one before? Oh, that is such bullshit in so many ways. <laughs> so here's the thing. I'm going to share my point of view today on some things from a person that, that I was, like from that perspective, and also from the person that I am choosing to be today. Right? My wake-up call, like... Yes, I had a very difficult situation, right? I, it almost feels like a lifetime ago because that sad, wounded, unaware, egotistical, stubborn, angry, knew everything about everything, was always right. That healthy, that, excuse me, unhealthy person had the wake-up call of all wake-up calls. My wake-up call showed me how deep my beliefs about life and the beliefs that were indoctrinated into me, just like they're indoctrinated into you. You're not above this. You have been indoctrinated. It, your version, based on your life experiences, have indoctrinated you. And how often my inner wounded child was running the show. How my subconscious beliefs of who I was told that I was and made agreements to ran the show. And... As I observe the world and how angry everyone is and how distracted and wounded and sick, mentally ill, overweight, unhealthy people are, I have so much empathy for that. I know firsthand what, how freaking hard it is to level up those low vibrational narratives that we're looping in, in a world that doesn't want you to level up, that profits off of you leveling down. And I'm going to say some things like that, that some people probably won't like. And I understand why, because, but I, I really hope that you hear me out. And I, because, <laughs> after my wake up call, and this was, I don't know, a decade ago, I started to have a lot of little mini wake up calls. Things didn't make sense. 
And that's when I started to learn intuitive awareness, which is the practice of non-judgmental observation of your ego, of your conditioned mind, of your thoughts and beliefs, and made it, not only did I learn it, I learned how to do this skill, but I made it a regular, consistent, non-negotiable practice. That's when I started to begin and understand things like groupthink, mass psychosis, echo chambers, things like that. Because I didn't see that before. I just thought like most people thought the way I thought because that's just what I knew and what I know is right. And my side of things and my opinions and my lived experience are more important than yours and I don't care about yours. The way you see the world doesn't matter because I'm right. And that felt safe for me and I had to defend. We will defend the way that we have learned to do things because without it, who are we? Right? You start to see this repetitive narrative that oppresses and keeps you small and keeps you doing the same little self-destructing things that don't seem like a big deal in the moment, but accumulate over time. And all of a sudden, years go by and you ask yourself, how did I get this way? Or why am I so sick? I'm so healthy. I do all the right things. Why am I sick? Why am I fat? All of these things, whatever it is, whatever your ailment is, how did I get stuck in this relationship? How do I get out of it? This isn't who I am. Is this the point of life? Is this what life has to offer? And we ask, how did we get here? And right there, just even asking yourself the truest question that deep down you damn well know the answer to, right? That's the moment where you're starting to wake up. When you start to think critically about your life, like zooming out a little bit. And as an adult, when you wake up to your life, you wake up to every single day and realize that everything in your life that you have accumulated to right now as an adult, you have said yes to. You have agreed to your circumstances and the way things are for you. And when you wake up to the idea that you are driving the boat of your life, that is the moment you wake up to the choice of no. If you are saying yes to this, there is another option, which is no. If you are saying yes to things that hurt you, that make you sick, that don't feel safe, or that do feel safe, but you know is self-destructive, then you are giving yourself, you can give yourself the power to say no to that. You are choosing. You are always choosing. This is the fact that we love to deny the most because we're indoctrinated to deny it. We are conditioned to deny it and to give our power away, believing that other people know better than us. So instead of guides and mentors showing us the way and teaching us how to love our bodies and communities and the earth, connecting to the earth and how to lift one another up without sacrificing ourselves in the process, we have adopted the idea that we are, you know, the victim of something or other, right? That we are, that governments and corporations should have control over our bodies. How did we normalize that? And that we need authority figures to make decisions for us because we're powerless. 
do it for me. I don't want to be responsible for that. You know, growing up, for me, governments, I always believed governments were for the people, by the people. And now we're moving into this like much scarier and messed up ideologies where like the government of Canada is for the people who only think like we think by people who might not even be Canadian. Like how, how are we getting into these things, into these positions? We are slowly but surely agreeing to a rigid system because it happens slowly. We don't get indoctrinated quickly. It's a long process. It happens steady, authority, and people who have power will scare you. They'll make you afraid. They make you worry about things, about people that you love, and then impose rules that make you feel safe in that certain situation only. But then it affects you in other situations, and you're like, huh, I didn't agree to that, but really you did. And then they back off. So you can get comfortable with this idea that all of a sudden, this rule is here. Then they repeat and repeat and repeat the same words over and over. And they, they pay the media to say these words. And then slowly but surely you start saying those words. So they're domesticating you to think a certain way. And then all of a sudden you self-domesticate. You start repeating those words and think that they're your words. The best and most recent example, and of course, like COVID is a thing. We're still kind of in it, really. So much stuff is coming out. You know, and the whole vaccination scandal. I call it a scandal because it was bullshit. And we know this. Now, the actual truth about the vaccines is coming out. Now that we know that it's not necessarily effective, it's not effective and it's not necessarily safe. Now that we know governments changed the definition of words and censored doctors and scientists and anyone who stood in their way. Like the fact that the that the Twitter files aren't front page news is like, and, and, and the news is actually trying to discredit all the people that are talking about the Twitter files. That's a big red flag, hello. You know, most people are still reluctant to accept that they were lied to because it's so fucking painful. It's a huge betrayal, huge betrayal. How could they? Don't they have their best interests at heart? It is a classic cycle of abuse. I know this. I lived there. How many times my ex-husband betrayed me, hurt me, abused me, broke me down. And I took him back and I trusted him again. And he rebuilt the trust. And it was this classic cycle where you love subconsciously can't live without your abuser. That is that is how I'm seeing things as I zoom out. And it's crazy. And okay, example. Let's talk about that domestication. I'm gonna go back. Of common phrases that prior to 2020, we've never heard and now have become common, accepted, group think, uh, brainwashed phrases, okay? Flatten the curve. How many times did you say flatten the curve? or think it. Safe and effective. How many times did you hear safe and effective and then say safe and effective? Social distancing. We never, like these are things that were never, ever said before 2020. And now they're like catchphrases. 
We just say them. We don't even know what they mean and why we're saying them because we've been indoctrinated to say social distancing, you know, like the whole do it for grandma thing. Do it for the people you love. Don't just do it for yourself. Do it for the people you love. Like those words are indoctrinating you. And let me ask you this prior to 2020, when you travel to the Philippines or to a third world country or like a, a somewhere where malaria was a thing, did you get your malaria shot for the Filipino people? Or did you get it for yourself to protect yourself? Huh, interesting, isn't it? If you had the chicken pox, maybe as a child, prior to 2020, would you ever be in line, first in line to get your chicken pox vaccine as an adult, having recovered from the disease already? Chances are probably not. So why do you think we all did that? Why do you think we changed the definition of words like vaccine? Why do you think we did that? How do you think that happened so quickly? The answer is fear. And through repeating and repeating and repeating by authority figures telling us that not only these things are the truth, but if you don't believe them, that you are a bad person and you're contributing to the disaster. Unless you do this thing, you are bad. And that's what powerful people do to coerce you. You didn't have a choice. If, if you were going to lose your job, that is not a choice. If you were going to not be able to leave your country, that is not a choice. They divided and conquered. They divided us. We are divided. We are being conquered in disguise of what is best for humanity. And that is bullshit. Divide the people, tell them what to think and believe and watch them adopt that ideology and then fight against each other. Distract them with good versus bad. Make them believe that their lives depend on thinking and believing this way so that they will defend it to the death. And I think a lot of people are waking up to this, right? Are you one of them? I hope so. If you're listening to the show, I think you are one of them. You're starting to unravel the layers and be like, whoa, you know, maybe there's people who are starting to think something along the lines of something isn't right here. All of a sudden they've been on this cog. They're a wheel in the cog going through the motions, being a good person, doing what they can to support the system. And all of a sudden, the system doesn't make sense anymore, right? But you don't know what the solution is. So you keep trusting the powers that once you once trusted, because that's what you know. It's like the devil you know. And if you trusted the media as a valuable, valuable news source throughout your entire life, if you're like, if you're were born in the eighties or, or earlier and you, and maybe even the nineties and you, and you don't see the media as a propaganda arm, I get it. You know, my mom was having this conversation. She was like, I thought it was only countries like Russia that, that spewed propaganda that owned the media that told their civilizations one side of the story, not the full picture. I didn't realize that it was happening here. And it's like, yeah, I know. Cause it used to not be, and now it is. 
It's really hard to see that slow shift, especially when things are really scary, like a global pandemic. You want to believe that the media is giving you accurate, viable, real truth. And the most interesting thing is that a lot of people are now seeing how wrong the media is and the authority figures were. We can literally see them lying about their safe and effective narratives. The media that are still pushing that, it's like, yeah, okay, Michael got myocarditis. My mom had Bell's palsy after her third shot. My grandmother had her third booster and then had a stroke and died. 60% of women in my life who menstruate had a change in their period and or it has never been the same to this day. There's countless examples of people who are experiencing side effects from getting the vaccine that can't talk about it or else they'll be called racist misogynists, which is crazy. That's an indoctrinated belief too, by the way, right? Why can't we talk about this? Think about that. Think about how good, how strong and effective the narrative was that held you in such a place that made you think that if you didn't do it, you were bad and now you're suffering and you can't even talk about it. Like, how is that safe and effective? The way that the government and the media and the quote unquote scientists dealt with all of this, pitting the vaccine side effects, like what, how they, okay, pitting the, the side effects against COVID was like brilliant also. Oh, well, COVID does this too. COVID's so bad. It's like, hello, that's insane. Yes, COVID is an awful thing that killed a lot of people and people suffered from it. I'm not denying that fact. I'm not denying that. But when the solution and the only solution that was accepted also harmed people, but we couldn't talk about it because like that would create hesitancy. What the hell is that? How is that not a red flag? We cannot allow this to happen again. And if you're waking up to the, the way your mind was indoctrinated through the fear and the media, but you still trust the media with the other stories that they tell, <laughs> the other things in the media, like think of the headlines. Like why were they wrong just with that? <laughs> they it worked. They're, they're, they're giving you, the media no longer tells you the news or reports facts. They tell you what to think about the news and the facts. They, they sell you a story. They sell you a one-sided picture of reality. Period. Canadian authority figures, our prime minister called unvaccinated people misogynists and racists. That's a fact. That He called me a misogynist and a racist because I made a medical decision. That is crazy. Calling someone a racist or labeling, labeling them as anti or phobic is the fastest way to divide and conquer. This is the lie. It's a lie. How do you trust someone who lies to you? We were lied to. And this goes for everything. Diet culture. The diet didn't work. If you gained all the weight back, why do you keep thinking it works? Why do you keep thinking a diet is your solution? It's the indoctrination. It's the repetitive over and over and over and over and over again. It's the billions of dollars marketing to you to plant seeds and ideas. Do the diet, do the diet, do the diet. How many people think about food 24 seven? Why do you think that is? 
It's the beauty culture. You're not going to be happy with your face no matter how much makeup, filler, Botox, or trendy your eyebrows are. This is that superficial garbage to distract you from loving and accepting who you are naturally, your inner magic, seeing the gifts that you bring to this world instead of comparing yourself, thinking that someone else is more beautiful than you. Always. And why do you think that is? You know? In a world that worships the Kardashians. Meanwhile, they're laughing all the way to the bank. They are filthy rich off of you believing in them, that they are the way. <laughs> How happy are you? How good do you feel about yourself right now doing all these things, all this diet, the makeup? Can you go out, you know, without your mask on? The most recent thing is guns. And now I don't know how much I want to talk about this outside of the fact that like the narratives in Canada and the US I see a lot is get rid of the guns. And although I don't disagree with that, I actually, okay, I saw a post. It went viral the other day saying something like, it's not the drag queens, the trans kids, the porn, the XYZ, I forget all the things that they listed. And then they said, you want to protect your kids? Get rid of the guns. Okay. How many people listening today agree with that? Now think to yourself, why do you think that way? Why do you believe that our kids will be safe if we get rid of the guns? Think about it. If you believe that, you're probably a very, you probably have a very sophisticated rationale that makes a lot of sense. And you will defend that ideology forever. You will also likely hate or get angry against people who disagree with you, right? If you're pro-guns, if you get really angry at people who want to take the guns away, right? Like that's, you get mad. You're going to find other ways to justify your side of seeing this split division story, right? For, so it's a battle. It's a distraction. It's fear and division. It's more divide and conquer. But let's zoom out a little bit. Let's zoom out a little bit. Children getting killed at schools is the top most worst thing that could ever happen. I don't think many people would disagree with that, regardless of your position on gun control or whatever the hell it is, whatever the, the headline is. The fact that school shootings have increased substantially over the last 20 years is terrifying. It's the worst thing that could ever happen. Children deserve to feel safe and protected, period. Nobody is arguing that. <clears throat> Nobody's arguing that, I don't think. No one's arguing against the real fear that parents have. So if you feel afraid or angry or you feel grief or shock or overwhelming sadness for people and families and your family, you're not alone. The, the acts of violence hit home very hard. We're not disputing that. And when you zoom out and you break down the step-by-step -step reality of individuals, whether they're children or adults, who perform great acts of violence, you would be missing the mark if you completely blamed the atrocity on weapons. The gun, the bomb, the knife, the weapon didn't drive itself to the school and kill innocent children and adults. A person did that. A sick person did that. 
a mentally ill person with access to a weapon did that. So it's, it's more than, it's more than meets the eye here. Who drives the narrative to blame the guns? Why do we as society never zoom in on the root cause of violence? I see people connecting the dots. Yeah, sure. It's easy. Most people would agree that someone who shot up a school and killed themselves or committed suicide or committed any act of violence was not mentally healthy and mentally sound because mentally healthy and sound people don't do these things. And yes, I understand the outrage and feel the outrage too. So, you know, let me add this into the mix for you to ponder. Sick people do this. Why are we not addressing the root cause of what is making people sick? What is the solution? I want you to imagine a world, just imagine a world where kids didn't have access to social media and viral videos of nonsense, flooded with propaganda, global bullying, not just face-to-face -face bullying anymore. It is online global bullying from adults, okay? And inappropriate content for kids. Let's just imagine they didn't have access to that. Imagine that they weren't isolated for the last three years, okay? Imagine that they weren't told things like, if you don't get vaccinated, you will kill your parents. Because that's what they were telling kids at school. Scaring the shit out of kids. Okay? Imagine they weren't involved in the uptick of pharmaceutical medications where violence and aggression and self-harm are common side effects that we don't talk about. Imagine they, they <clears throat> your kids were fed, or the, all kids were fed mineral and nutrient-dense foods and they weren't starving and hungry. Think about how angry you are when you're hungry. Do you think that hungry kids don't feel the same way? Imagine that they weren't surviving on ultra processed garbage. Imagine them spending all of their time outdoors instead of indoors on computers and iPads and phones and never being outside. And imagine that they didn't have access to weapons. Imagine that world. That's basically the world, I don't know, pre-1990, where there were very few school shootings, very few. It all kind of, the uptick of, of the social contagion happened around the Columbine shootings, which were in 1999, if you, if you remember those. Weapons have existed for most of our history, so what has changed? Now, I am not, I am not saying I'm pro-gun or anti-gun or any of this shit. I just think we get distracted on one narrow vision that is put in, that is being indoctrinated into us by powers that be. So why is that? Why can't we zoom out and look at root causes of these things? We're looking in the wrong direction again. And we'll find out 20 years from now, 30 years from now, <laughs> as time goes on and we look back and say, oh shit, we really screwed that up. We're in that right now. And we're, we are in the confusion and the fuzziness and the disgusting mess and lives are, the cost is life. The cost is vitality and love and connection. I know this is a big topic and I really want to go below the surface here on how we've been indoctrinated to think and believe. 
and how we've been indoctrinated to think there's only one solution to every single problem. And I'm going to leave that topic there for now. I just, I want to give that as an example, as an example of how we are misguided and, and, and it's more than one solution. There's multiple things that need to happen. We need to look, we need to open the scope here. It's not blaming one thing. And the even bigger question that nobody is allowed to ask is who is profiting off of you believing, supporting, and defending these narratives? I think the question to this, the answer to this question rather, lies in what, it lies in what makes people sick? Why is there such an increase, an uptick of mental illness? Why are people relieved to receive ADHD diagnoses, depression medications, type two diabetes diagnoses, anxiety? And yes, you heard me correctly. People are relieved, relieved because now they have something to blame for their life. They can take a pill. They can replay the narrative of how they're the victim of their life and complain about the side effects and have this whole slew of affirmations from people labeling themselves as sick and being validated by that. And we're so distracted by symptoms that again, we are failing to heal ourselves at the root cause. The trauma, the stress, the, the propaganda, fear, one-sided corporate media narratives, the ultra processed foods, like what is in our food? What is in our food? All the inflammation, you eat something and immediately need to go to bed. You have a headache. You feel like you're sick to your stomach. What is in our food? We don't, we don't think about that. The comparison game, the, the comparison that social media is subconsciously planting and the, the algorithms driving comparison, thinking everyone's life is happier and better than yours and that they're doing more than you and how much financial stress people are getting themselves into. How much debt are you going into just to prove that you have a good life? The division, the isolation, these are root causes to illness. Changing the definition of words, mass confusion. Those are leading to illness slowly and slowly and slowly. They accumulate. It doesn't seem like a big deal at the time in this moment, but this moment adds to the next moment, adds to the next moment. And over time, you are depressed and you have low mood and you can't get the fuck out of it. You don't see how the walls are closing in as they close in on you because the world is just accepting this. We are normalizing illness. We are normalizing being sick and depressed and anxious. And yes, it's positive to talk about it. And, and, and what's happening now is we're just talking about it and, and giving ourselves validation to be the victim of our life instead of actually creating change, positive shifts and leading healthy lifestyles and changing our habits, the habits that used to work for us that don't work for us anymore. How many people have like done a diet? They did a diet in their 20s, right? And it worked. And so they're like, I'm gonna do this diet again and it doesn't work for them this time. They're like, shit, well, I, used, I, gained, I lost 30 pounds last time, now I only lost 10, oh my God, I'm gonna just try it again. I'm gonna try this diet. And they like, 
Our bodies change. The food we're eating is changed. Our environmental stressors have changed. Our lives have changed. Yet we're giving ourselves the same solution. It doesn't work anymore. How can we open the door to that? You know, I'm going to say something that I've never actually told anyone, but my therapist prior. Okay. In type two diabetes right now is a lifestyle disease. We know this. We've been told this. We know that it's not congenital. Congenital? Is that the word? (laughs) You're not, you don't have a gene for type two diabetes. Uh, It's a lifestyle disease. So when I was pre-diabetic, I had, that was when I had a, a massive wake up call. Yeah. In 2010, I was diagnosed as pre-diabetic. I was 240 pounds. I ate, I was living, leading a very unhealthy life. I didn't think it was unhealthy. I thought it was normal. I justified every single choice I made. Absolutely. It was not my fault. Oh my God. But then I had pre-diabetes and I had a wake up call and it was so massive. What are you doing, Elisa? What are you doing? Prior to that moment, I used to wonder, prior to the moment that I had type two diabetes, I used to wonder what it would be like if I had cancer. This is a, this is a dark, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell a dark story here. I wanted to have cancer. I wanted to hurt the people in my life. I wanted to think, I, I wondered what it would be like if I died of cancer. What would they do without me? How, how much attention would cancer give me? How, how could I live in that victim story? And, and I wished that I had cancer so that I had something to blame for feeling so down. I didn't want to be responsible for the choices I was saying yes to that kept me down. This was in my late 20s. I was so depressed. And those are the thoughts of someone who is depressed. It sucks. It is hard. It is horrible. And again, I've only told this to my therapist, by the way, and she was the one who taught me how to pay attention to those limiting beliefs that I held so dear to my heart. The labels, I wanted to have an ailment so that I didn't have to be responsible. You know? Wanting to have cancer is a pretty huge limiting belief. I didn't see it that way though. I was convinced it was like my destiny that I probably had cancer or like a brain tumor or something horrible. That was the reason that I felt so shitty. And it's funny that the diagnosis of being pre-diabetic was the thing that kicked me out. All of a sudden it was real. My choices were real. There was a real thing that I was actually developing in my body. That diagnosis, I sort of like, I can picture the room with the doctor telling me I can go right back to that moment. And it was like life changing. It allowed me to immediately zoom out and see my role in my life, in my demise. Right then and there, I had a clear choice. I could change my lifestyle and reverse this lifestyle disease, or I could stay the same, take a pill for the rest of my life and you know mask the symptoms and live. Lots of people have type two diabetes, they take a pill and they just do what they normally do. Is there anything wrong with each one of those choices? No, however, the former 
choice is the road to heal and get rid of the disease and the symptoms. The latter might get rid of the symptoms and mask the deficiency. It allows me to live with type 2 diabetes, but it leaves me with the disease and slowly but surely causing destruction in my body. Okay? When you get the type 2 diabetes diagnosis, and I know like a lot of people are going to be like uproared at me talking about this, but it's a it's it's a thing and it's affecting so many of us. Whatever road you choose to go down is yours to make and a reflection of your indoctrination of how you truly see health, of how you truly see your body. There's no right or wrong answer. You can take any road you want. It's yours to make. I'm not giving medical advice here at all. You're responsible for your choices though, whether you see that or not. And my goal and the entire goal of this podcast is to shine the light on the fact that when you are steered into the idea that there's only one solution to a problem, that is a red flag. There is never only one solution. There is never only one solution. All right. If the only solution you're offered as a pill, that's a red flag. If the only solution is to take a medical intervention of any type, that's a red flag. If the only solution is to isolate, that's a red flag. You know, it's a, it's a red flag to only listen to the narratives that are bought and paid for by the government. I'm sorry. If you spend 60% or more of your time worrying, creating scary stories in your mind and believing that, comparing yourself to other people, thinking their life is so great, that is a red flag. If you keep going back to that diet, like I talked about, that worked in your 20s, but it's not working anymore, but you keep spending time and money and effort trying to make it work, that is a red flag, right? If you think your lip injections are gonna make you better or more beautiful, that is a red flag. You know, thinking you need your phone with you at all times to be safe or whatever, that's a red flag. It is amazing. So I was talking to my friend Michelle we were yesterday about phones and about the distraction and about how our phones are contributing at a rapid pace into mental illness. At a rapid pace. They make you question your ability to feel safe in your body. And let me explain. I was telling her, like, how often do you leave the house without your phone? She's like, never. Like, yeah, do you ever go for a walk? What would happen if you went for, a, if you were five kilometers away walking, what would happen if you didn't have your phone? She's like, I don't know. I'd be like freaking scared. <laughs> and when did that happen? When did that happen? That we couldn't leave our house without a trinket, a metal trinket that's attached to our wrist now that's become part of who we are, right? When did that happen? She was talking about how often she looks at her phone. A hundred times, she said. Probably a hundred times. Every time a notification comes up, she has to look at it. Think about our brains and what that's doing to us and how we are being conditioned to rely on a trinket, on something outside of us. It's like the whole superficial outside world, like that something else will make us better and feel safe. 
It distracts us from who we are. It's distracting us. She, she was asking me about sort of my boundaries and what I've started to do. And you know, this has been a, a long time struggle for me. The first and foremost was to stop watching media. Anyone that stops watching the news, I guarantee in 30 days or less, you will start to feel better about your life. Just not hearing all the negativity, even if you don't think the news is negative. I, I understand when people say it's not all negative. There's some really good stuff in there. It's like, no, no, no. You, like, you have no idea how powerful the language and the manipulation is in media today. They, so if you don't listen to it, you're going to be fine. You're not going to be outside of current affairs. You're not going to like lose your grip on reality. Like all the things that you tell yourself you will lose by not watching it. You'll actually start to feel better. And the same thing goes with social media. So, uh, I was telling her that I plug my phone outside of the bedroom. I usually plug it in between seven and eight o'clock at night. I don't watch my phone. I don't look at my phone after eight o'clock at night and I don't go look at it until I've been awake for about an hour. I want to say about an hour. Sometimes I power, like it depends on the day. Sometimes I power through my morning routine. Sometimes I sleep in a little bit too much and I'm like shit and I have like meetings and stuff. So like, um, I have to check my phone for work, but for the most part, I go a minimum of 12 hours every single day with my phone plugged in at the other side of the room. I don't bring it into the bedroom. I don't stare at it before I go to bed. I don't look at it as the first thing. We have an actual alarm clock. We don't use our phones for an alarm in the morning. And, and just like telling her that she was like, I feel anxious just listening to you talk about this. Like that feels so scary to me. And then she's like, had this moment. She had an awakening. She's like, I need to get rid of my phone. She's like, do you leave the house without your phone? I'm like, yeah, I intentionally go to the store. I leave my house every day without my phone. Every single day, there is a point in the day where I leave and I do not bring my phone. She's like, oh my God, how do you live? And she's like, had this wake up call. And she's like, I need to set some clear boundaries because I'm so invested in the distraction and giving so much of my power away to a trinket in my hand, which is distracting me from the real work that I wanna do, from the time I wanna spend with my family, from the time I wanna spend connecting to myself, being creative and exploring my passions and moving my body. All of these things, we've been like, it was one of the reasons I got rid of my Fitbit and got rid of my um, Garmin watch that was constantly beeping and like showing me my text messages and this whole hustle culture and the need to respond right away and all of this stuff. It's like, we don't need to do any of that, but we've been conditioned to think that we have. And if we don't respond right away, that we're a bad person. So we're like slowly but surely implementing more and more ways to build the stress bucket on your back, weigh you down, make you think you're not enough, make you think that you can't live your life without your phone. I remember the first time I actually, <clears throat> I was telling this to Michelle too. I didn't, um, I was at the store and I saw something that I thought Michael would want. So I went to take a picture of it and send it to him. Like, that's what I do. I like, 
I go to the store and I, I'm like, oh, Michael would want this. So I send him a picture and say, hey, do you want this? It's on sale or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, I don't have my phone. Oh my God, oh my God, what am I gonna do? I don't have my phone. I was like freaking out. <clears throat> I'm like, relax. I had to like take a step back, breathe. I'm gonna be okay. I'm 40 years old. I can take care of myself. I don't need to send this picture. I don't need to take this selfie. I don't need to show the world that I'm at the grocery store. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's like, whoa, you really get a sense when you zoom out and just like take a deep breath. You really get a sense for like how much meaning you give to something like your phone. How much meaning you give to the little habits like going on your phone, checking your Instagram. How many likes did I get? How many comments did I get? Did I post something cool? Did I, oh, look what she posted. Oh, she's way better than me. Like all this fucking shit that just like literally are little small incremental bullets into your heart that are killing you softly. It's like smoking cigarettes. Doctors used to smoke cigarettes and promote them. Doctors on magazines, the number, Marlboro was the number one brand of cigarettes. And then over time, <clears throat> we realized this shit was killing us, right? And then the narrative changed, but not before a lot of damage was done. A lot. And we're seeing this in modern times. We're living in these habits and behaviors that are killing us softly that we are refusing to look at because sometimes it feels good to tell someone to go fuck themselves. Sometimes it feels good to make someone, to dehumanize someone and make them wrong because you're right. Regardless of the position, like it doesn't even matter what the topic is. When you are putting someone below you to make yourself feel better, when you're canceling people, when you're dividing, when you're oppressing, when you're othering, that is not healthy at any level. When you zoom out, you can see it. You can totally see it. If you have no emotional or personal attachment to the situation, you can totally see it. It's easy to see. It's easy to see this in other people. It's the, our job. It's our job as women who are warriors waking up and growing building our personal development to see this in ourselves to see this in ourselves oh yeah yo oh look at the time <laughs> anyways i want to leave you with a little bit of hope here cuz this was kind of like a this was deep and juicy i know i know and i'm not going to stop I want to leave you with something positive and a way for you to come back into your body and take control of your life, which includes your thoughts and your emotions and those automatic emotional things that come up. Okay. So like the next time you feel threatened or triggered or like emotional, once that wave of something comes up and you like, or you even think, huh, you know, this doesn't feel right. All of these little moments in your life that create an, a negative emotional um, feeling in your body. Maybe it's a tweet, maybe someone offended you, whatever. So someone wants you to do something or makes you feel guilty or bad for not doing it, things like that. When people like come at you, instead of 
calling all your friends and telling them how pissed off you are and replaying the story and rallying the troops and getting people to agree with you and validate you and pit the other person as awful. Like, can you believe what they just said? Oh my God. Like instead of doing that, like, which makes you feel good when putting someone else down to make yourself feel better, making them wrong and so that you can be right, you know, making them bad so that you're good. And then, and then building your tri your tribe around you that agrees with you. Instead of doing that, I urge you to feel the feeling that comes up, recognize it. Okay, this is what Elisa is talking about. This is threat. I don't feel good right now. What is this? I want you to stop, take a breath, close your eyes, and say to yourself, I am safe, I am loved, this is not personal, okay? Keep breathing, put some space between yourself and the feeling. Put space, push it out. I'm not saying push it away, I'm saying push it out. See it for what it is. Then ask yourself, who am I without that thought? Who are you if you let this emotional reaction run through your body instead of holding on to it and pulling it in? Okay, just do that. If you pull it in, no problem. Chances are you might pull it in. Chances are you might let it go because you'll see if you put enough space between yourself and the thought because the thought is old, the trigger is old. It's totally fine, whatever you do, but those types of exercises bring you into the present moment. They don't project you into some past moment where you were wounded and hurt. They don't project you into some future moment. It brings you into the now, and in the now, you have choice. And whatever you choose is fine. You will learn from it. The story though, that emotional shit that comes up, that's the toxic, that's toxic wound. That's toxic. That's the wounded inner child. You aren't healing by making someone else wrong, okay? And making you right or like twisting the story or manipulating the situation so that you look like you're right. You're not better than anyone when you cancel someone. That's not personal power. It's not personal power to cancel someone and make them the bad guy and you the good guy. Dehumanizing people is not the answer ever. That is fear in action. Fear in action is gossip. It's rallying the troops. It's, it's, saying really mean things to people online, okay? It's division, it's isolation, it's othering people, it's oppressing other people's opinions, okay? Love in action is holding space for yourself to be who you are. It is grounding, it is accepting, it is having empathy. Having empathy for someone in the moment that they are suffering does not mean you need to carry that emotion for them. Okay, there's a difference. When you need to carry, that means you are afraid for them. You you don't, you are afraid, you know that they, you believe they can't handle their own life. So you take that on, that's fear. Love is breathing and holding space to heal and let go and silencing the noise and letting go of worry and healing your inner child and detaching from cultural narratives and limiting beliefs. Like all of this, <laughs> that is love in action. That's the stuff that they don't teach you. It's the stuff that's like only woo-woo, 
you know, they label people who are practicing love as being something bad. It's so weird. So backwards, so fuzzy, so confusing, challenging, hard to sift out the good and the bad and the right and the wrong and the fucking nonsense, the nonsense distractions of the world. Should I go on? I think I'm going to be done for today. (laughs) Anyways, I hope that I've left you with some narratives to question, some perspective shifts to inspire you to maybe widen the scope of your existing view. Think outside the box a little bit. This conversation's not over. I'm going to keep bringing on voices and experts and real life people and help us mourn the loss of our old perspectives. Because that's another thing too. Once we shift into a new space and we like a part of us must die for us to continue to grow. And we need to learn to hold space for that, to mourn that, to grieve that, to move on. It's a really unexpected consequence of growth that we, you know, we, we, we mask as a sign that we've done something wrong. When we're not mourning and grieving the things that we're moving through, we see it as a sign to go back that we've done something wrong. So we go back and then we're like, shit, this doesn't feel right. And we continue to loop. All right. So yeah, this conversation is not over, but that this is all for today. Thanks again for joining me and listening to the unfiltered, my unfiltered one-sided conversation over here. And if you have any comments or questions, I want you to join the conversation. Please do it. You can find me on Instagram at, at Elisa Curry Lewis. Let's talk about it. Okay, I'm over here giving you a big virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Elisa Unfiltered Podcast. If you haven't done so yet, I'd love for you to share the love and head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify and give this show a five-star rating. I'll give you bonus points for leaving a written review. And if you're looking for more, head over to elisaunfilteredcoaching.com for show notes and all the links to all things Elisa Unfiltered. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time.